So standing at the gates of heaven, at the end of the age when all the believers were standing in line waiting to get into heaven, the angel Gabriel appeared and said, I want all the men to form two lines. One line will be for the men who were the true heads of their household. The other for the men who were dominated by their wives. <laughs> Gabriel continued, and now we need all the women to report to Mary and Martha on the other side of the gate. The women left while the men hurriedly formed two lines. The line of men who were dominated by their wives seemed seemingly unending. <laughs> the line of men who were the true head of their household had just one man standing in it. Gabriel said to the first line, look, all of you, there's only one man who obeyed. Then Gabriel turned to the lower man and asked, how did you come to be in this line? The man sheepishly re replied, my wife told me to stand here. Um, we, uh, I kid. You know, sometimes can't we become focused on following instructions? Yes. You know, following a pattern. I mean, we're, we're a funny breed as Christians, aren't we? You know, it's very easy for us, very simply, you know, suddenly we know it's a time of prayer and all heads drop at exactly the same point, eyes yeah. close, yeah. and we can speak in the exact same tone, meter, yeah. and intonation required to sound spiritual. Um, it can, we can be taught a new song. And, you know, we have those moments, don't we? First two verses through where you sort of move your mouth because you don't want anyone to know you don't know the song, but the reality is you don't know the song, but if you don't sing, do you look unspiritual? So I'll sort of, I'll sway. <laughs> the eyes will close. And with it, you're even wondering, maybe this is just a really old song that, that everyone else knows, but I only just got saved, so I don't know. And oh, I have to nudge Rich, is this 80s or is this 90s? Or is this pre-us? And, uh, but, you know, within, within two verses, we're there, aren't we? Yeah. We've picked the tune, we've followed the words, because that's what we do. Yeah. And we can become very focused on, on following the right pattern and the right way of doing things and the instructions. And I was thinking, well, is that discipleship? Is it being able to follow a pattern? Because we've been talking about discipleship, haven't we? And is that it? Is it following a pattern? Or, or is it following instructions given? You know, is there a leader who gives instructions and those instructions are something to be followed and if I follow the instructions, I'm, the, I'm a disciple. Is that what discipleship is? So I thought, well, I want to know more about the word. I want to know about more. What does, what does disciple mean? What does discipleship mean? What does discipline mean? Because it seems quite a similar word. There's not many different letters, is there? And I thought, well, dis. Dis normally means to be like separated from something, doesn't it? You know, you disengage with something or you can feel disenfranchised from something or you can dislocate a limb. And I thought, well, surely that's the very opposite of following. You know, dis, it, it, is it being separate? And then I thought, well, how does that work? So I thought, right, so what's the word mean? So in the Greek, disciple means uh, Excuse my pronunciation, mathetes, or tees, math to learn, uh, thete, uh, or the thetes bit with endeavour. Basically, it means to learn with endeavour. That's the root of what disciple means, to learn with endeavour. It's something more, though, than just being a pupil. You know, it's not just about gaining information from somebody else. It's not about hearing a sermon and thinking, there's information, okay, I'll take some of that information and I've got head knowledge, I know what was said. It's not about reading a book. It's not about attending a course. Yeah. 
You know, it's a disciple refers to somebody who follows someone's teaching. There's a difference there. It's not just learning. There's something about following the teaching. It's, it's a pupil who actively embraces, grasps hold of the teaching and assists in the teaching of others. That's what it means. It means a disciple means to be an active adherent. You adhere to the teachings, but then you actively live out those teachings so that they impact on the lives of others. That's what being a disciple means. So put simply... You embrace the teaching of Jesus, but you don't just learn what he says, you learn what he does. You learn to imitate the teacher. It's more than just following. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, be imitators of God. So then I thought, so what's discipline? How does that come into it? Because we associate discipline, don't we, with something punitive, with punishment often, and being strict. But actually, discipline is meant to be associated with instruction and with knowledge. Discipline's real meaning really just resonates with being committed to learn. Being committed to learn the ways of Jesus. The Greek for discipline, sophronismos, actually means to save the mind. Discipline is to save the mind, to commit your heart, to commit your mind, to commit yourself to gaining instruction, to gaining knowledge of Jesus and of his ways actually brings you soundness of mind. It makes sense to be a disciple, put simply, to choose to commit, to choose to learn of Jesus, to choose to imitate his ways. So it isn't just this vague decision. We don't have a God who is a peripheral, external God who is going to, from time to time, reach into your life, repoint and go, off you go. We don't have a God who says, well, I'm over here. You just toddle along behind. That's not what God intended for us. That's not what being a disciple means. Being a disciple is a choice to journey. Yeah. But we talk about discipleship. So there's got to be journey in there. There's a name of transport in the name isn't there you know there's journeying involved yes but it isn't just journeying I'll follow those instructions and that's my journey it isn't just journeying of they said so I will do it's an active journey it's being involved it requires commitment from you to say I'm not just going to follow the instructions I'm going to learn how to play my part I'm going to be an active adherent to the teachings of Jesus I'm going to adhere I'm going to stick to them I'm going to live them and they're going to be me and they're going to be my life and they're going to impact the world around me yeah Yeah? it's a choice to follow not just by doing but just by being you know let's not just do church let's be church yeah I love this quote it's a bit tongue-in-cheek but I think God is like Mozart and we are the notes you know being a disciple is choosing to be part of the melody being a disciple is about being choosing to be part of the melody but you've got to let someone press your keys you make no sound if no one presses your keys you've got to be committed it's to learn with endeavour, to commit, and then to imitate. 
It's up close. It's personal. It's face to face. It's intertwined forever. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 18 to 20. If you could pop that up for me, Alicia. That'd be great. Here we've got Paul speaking to the Ephesians. Uh, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You see, I think this sort of tells us how God likes to work. He likes to work in people. It tells us he worked in Christ. His strength working in Christ. He raised him. There's there's something active there. There's something empowered. God's a God who wants to work in power. But God's a God who wants, wants to work in power in you. He don't want to work in power and you just follow that power. He wants to work in power in you. Today, tomorrow, next week, next year and beyond. You know, discipleship isn't about that power of God. It's not something done to us. It's done through us. But you've got to commit to that. You've got to be willing for God to do that. You've got to say, God, okay. I like Sunday morning. I like hearing good worship. I like hearing good word. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I, like, I like that, but I want to live that. Yes. I don't just want to hear that. I don't just want to do that. I want to be that this morning. You know, and that's a heart decision. God, do it through me, not just to me. You know, sometimes I think we spend too much time. We, we love democracy, don't we? But we actually spend too much time secretly hankering after dictatorship. I think we like being told what to do. I think we might like being directed. Yes. Do this then, by then, in that way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. 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 Even if you don't agree, secretly inside you do. <laughs> we like being told what to do. Yeah. Why? It's easier. Yeah. It's easier. Live this way. Pray for that long. At this time, okay, yes. I can do that. It's easier. Yeah. Do you know what else? We like being told what to do because it can, means we can relinquish responsibility. Tried it, didn't yes. work, your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you in this, God? Yeah. I did it. Jared said do it like this, so I did that. Didn't work. Where are you, God? We can be passive. We like being told what to do. Yeah. Discipleship's not about being told what to do. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No more than it's about being led by somebody in a distance saying, follow me this way. Just blindly follow on. Discipleship is not about your attendance. Discipleship isn't just words to follow. Another lovely quote. If you get tangled up in Christian words, you risk becoming one of those parts of the vine who lose their saltiness and therefore cannot finish the race. There we go. It's not just words. It's not just about words. It's not about your attendance. It's deeply relational. Discipleship 
is committed. Discipleship is purposeful. Discipleship is full of your decisions. It's full of your questions. It's full of your actions. It's not just rote learning and it isn't just surface learning. It's deep embedded understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, what he means to you. And it's learning, therefore, that he's going to challenge you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to edify you. It's going to release potential in you. But it requires your commitment to be an active member of a discipleship group. It says, I choose to be here and I choose to live this way and I choose to put your teachings into action every day, not just for two hours on a Sunday. I choose not just to follow instructions, but I choose to live as Christ lived. And it's going to happen in you and it's going to happen through you and it's going to happen because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, uh, in 1 to 6 uh, I've just got um, four to six up there. But in uh, sort of verse one, it's talking about how we are dead in our sins. You know, there's, see what I mean about it's, it's so all caught up with being in and with and through. You know, we're caught up, we're mired, as the message would put it, in our sins. But then, here, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You know, his sacrifice for us and our sins meant now that through that sacrifice, we're alive with him. And this isn't... You know, it's not just a past event that happened over 2,000 years ago and therefore that event happened and I, can, I know that truth, so therefore I'll just follow that. It's about that truth being alive today. Right now, this moment, Jesus died for you. Not 2,000 years ago he died for you, now he died for you. This moment, right now, right here, you are seated with him. In Christ Jesus. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. It's not over there. It's not words. It's not a nice lyrics. It's, it's that with Jesus. Now. Yeah. Today. Very good. You just intertwine with him when you're a disciple. Because yeah. you commit to him and who he is. And say, change my heart. Change my life. We're meant to be caught up in this beautiful mystery. We're meant to be involved. We're meant to be, it's a, lovely, it's a lyric in a song, yeah? your kite strings are meant to be tangled in the tree. <laughs> it's meant to be like that. It's meant to be face to face. It's meant to be fingers interlaced, embracing close. That's the relationship Jesus wants with you. That's the relationship where discipleship happens. It's only there, in close proximity to the heart of Jesus, that you're going to understand the heart of the Father. And it's only there that you're going to be able to adhere to his teachings and learn to imitate his ways. Stu said the word grafting this morning. My dad was a wood machinist for a um, caravan company for many years, and um, he sliced part of his finger off. Well, it was a fascination as a kid, because he had a hairy finger. Because in those days, the skin grafts, they 
stitched his finger to his stomach. And over time, the skin grafted to the finger. But because he had a hairy stomach. He had a hairy finger. He used to like go... And you'd hear a zzzz, you'd be like, Daddy, you're shaving your finger. Please tell me you're shaving your finger. And Rachel never believed me. She said, still don't, no. But you know, there's something about being close, which means grafting takes place. In the Greek, grafting is inkentrizo, which means um, it's almost like, uh, gives the image of a plant, and it's like a plant wraps around and something is inserted, and over time they grow together to be one. That's what discipleship is. Being grafted to Jesus. This, it's, and it's an active process. Uh, can I have the next scripture, uh, Alicia? Thank you. Here, I love this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, I love this idea of workmanship, that we are God's workmanship. Because the term workmanship, to me, suggests something of craftsmanship, of, of care, of producing something beautiful. But then I thought, I got to thinking about the scripture a bit more, and I thought, well, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I thought, well, I know that we need to accept Jesus' sacrifice his, for our salvation. We need to know what Jesus did and accept that. And we know then that we are created new. We cast off the old man and we have the new man. So then I thought, so when I am created in Christ Jesus at that point, then I'm God's workmanship. So I thought, well, what was I before? Because I know Psalm 139 tells me I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. But I really become his workmanship after I accept Christ. So maybe I've got workmanship wrong. I don't think actually it's about a beautifully crafted outcome. I think it's about a process. I think workmanship says I'm in the process of becoming something beautiful. I think workmanship actually is discipleship. I think it's placing myself in the hands of God and saying I'm going to become something amazing. You know, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Authorship, you author, you, you, you give birth to something, yeah? yeah? But it still needs perfecting yeah. because he is the author and perfecter. If, if, it's just all, if there's no perfecting needed, he'd just be the author of my faith, wouldn't he? Yeah. Job yeah. done. Yeah. But he's the author and perfecter. Yes. It's present, continuous. There's, there's, there's work to be done. Very so please, I'm not saying you're not beautiful. <laughs> you are. I was particularly enamoured with Jack's beautiful beard on that video. It was, it was amazing. I can't do it. I get like two patches here. It's rubbish. But you know, I'm not saying you're not beautiful. God made you beautiful. Psalm 139 tells us he did it wonderfully. But I put to you that there is even more beautification for you. There is even more perfection for you this morning. You know, imagine he made you beautiful, but he wants to perfect you. How amazing are you going to be? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you not want to commit to being a disciple? Yes. Yeah. 
Why would you not want to be the best version of you you could be? Why would you not want to be stunningly amazing, beautiful, gifted? Why would you not want the potential that God's put within you? Be a disciple. Because when we're all committed to the journey, then the bride of Christ, which you mentioned this morning, isn't well known for a personality, but because she's really beautiful. So why? Why be his workmanship? The answer's here. We're, we're going to be a work in progress. Why? Because God's prepared good works for you to do and being shaped, being polished, being sanded, being varnished, being tightened, being tweaked. Makes you ready to do those things. God's got a destiny for you. And discipleship means you're going to enter into that destiny. Do you want it? I want to do good works. They sound the good. So they must be all right. And I can imagine what I think is good is nowhere near what God thinks is good. So if what God thinks is good is what I've got in store for me, I'll have some of that. Yeah? I'd like that. So God, work on me. Because only by then am I going to be able to do those things you've prepared for me. God's got stunning stories for each and every one of you. Not stories that you hear somebody else say. Your story. But you've got to be committed to being his workmanship. You've got to let him mould you, sand you, knock an edge off of you, tighten a bit up there. Let's get ourselves ready so that we can just enjoy the, the joy of what God has in store for you. Let's enter in discipleship. Let's learn Jesus' ways, imitate Jesus' ways, become his workmanship. Why? Because one, you're going to look amazing. Two, you're going to fulfill your promise. And three, when you fulfill your promise, others will respond to Jesus. Because your good works are going to be kingdom works. And that's going to impact the lives of every individual who ever rubs up alongside you. It's a life of outreach. That's what discipleship prepares you for. Why else? Because if you allow yourself to be worked on, that's going to benefit me. So please do it. If you become his workmanship, if you become who you are meant to be, I will benefit. When Stu becomes who he's meant to be, oh, please. <laughs> Steve will benefit. When Steve becomes who he's meant to be, Mike's going to benefit. Yeah. We're all going to benefit. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, Ephesians 2 verse 11 uh, to 18 talks of how we become one with Christ because of his sacrifice. You know, it's all back to that in and with and through. But then we get here, verse 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, when you commit to be a disciple, when you say, I'm going to be your workmanship, I'm going to allow you to, to mold me, to shape me, to, to perfect my life, 
And when Stu's committed to that too, then we fit. Yeah. Yeah. We fit. And when we fit, and Sandra fits, and Leslie fits, and Chris fits, we together, we become a dwelling. In what? God will live by his spirit. You see, if we all commit to discipleship, we all benefit. Literally, the more the merrier. We need to do it. We need to learn his ways. We need to live his ways. We need to become crafted. That you are illuminated by his beauty. That you're going to fit in the body. That his spirit might dwell. And we need that. We need his spirit. Why? Ephesians 3, 4 to 5. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. You see, if we're built together, the Holy Spirit's going to dwell within us. And then if the Holy Spirit dwells within us, the Holy Spirit will reveal God's truth to us. You see, it's all joined up. Discipleship, I commit to to being who I'm meant to be, to, to imitate Jesus, to follow his ways. And, and in that, I'm committed, therefore, to being his workmanship. God can work on me, and when he works on me, I can fit. And when I fit, the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, I understand more of God. I understand his truth. I understand what I'm meant to be. I understand what you're meant to be. And together, we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit turns it from 2D to 3D. It's not a flat piece of paper anymore. You walk round it, you walk through it, you touch it, you see it. We need to understand. Why do we need to understand? Ephesians 3, 7 to 9. I became a servant of this gospel, this is Paul speaking, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. It was this word that jumped out at me, administration. It's a funny word, isn't it? You see, Paul's job was to administer the mystery of God. Paul's job was to use words to administer the mystery of God. I don't think he could do that if he didn't have the truth of who God was revealed to him. He needed the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth that he could administer. Now, what does that mean? He had to tell people the truth. He had to tell them how it was. But not minister, administer. You know, minister, to minister, and it's a fab thing, means to to provide assistance and to provide care. To administer means to run, to manage an activity. We need to, we are, we're very, very willing to minister. We want to minister to people. But we've also got to administer truth. You know, you need discipleship to know God's ways. Um, to, to walk with Jesus, to be perfected, to gain the understanding of the Holy Spirit. Not just so we can be in the business of meeting the need of people, 
But so we can be in the business of meeting people at their point of need to reveal truth. There's a, there's a, there's a difference yeah. there. Yeah. It can be easy as a church, as an individual, to become focused on meeting people's needs, to, to ministering assistance and care, and lose focus that we also need to be administering the truth, revealing the mystery of God, showing them really who God is. Yeah, we will help feed you, but we want, you need to understand why we're doing that, because God loves you. And this is an expression of Jesus' heart to you. We need to be a disciple so we, so we have the, so we fit, so we have the together, so we have the, the knowledge and understanding of the Holy Spirit that we have truth revealed to us, that we can reveal that truth to others, not just meet people's needs, but meet them at their need and minister God yes. into their lives. Very good. Yeah? Let's not become focused on being the practical answer and fail to introduce them to the real answer. Yep. Yeah. Ephesians 3.10 says, through the, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Yep. That's right. And yeah, you can do that ministering care and, care and advice. You can. But we need to be administering the wisdom of God. Yep. We need to be in the business of running that activity. And we need, as Ephesians 3.16 tells us, to be strengthened in our inner being yeah. through the Holy Spirit so Christ can dwell in our hearts. Why? So we don't just follow the teacher, but we understand the teacher. We therefore imitate the teacher so that we minister and we become administers. We become in the business of letting people know who God is and what God says for their lives. And we've got to be willing to commit to that journey. I enjoyed yesterday walking along a riverbank in Goole with Steve. And we, um, we uh, walked up and Steve said, the river's flowing in the wrong way. <laughs> it normally goes that way and it's going that way. What's that about, geographer? <laughs> it was a tidal surge. Yeah, uh, and it comes in and Steve was saying, so does that mean that at some point though, it goes back that way. It's going to reverse and come back. Yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing thing of nature. But yeah. You know, culture can flow that way, can't it? Yeah. Yeah. But we're not called to mirror the culture in which we live, are we? We're called to flow that way. Because we're called to administer the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Yes. We're called to administer God's grace, God's love, God's wisdom to the church. And there has to be a point where things turn and flow back. Yes. And you'll know where you're at in that journey. You'll know whether you're flowing that way, whether you're flowing that way, or this morning whether you need to be at the point where you go... Active adherent me, yeah. your ways from now, Jesus. Yes. Not just words, not just things I heard, not a set of instructions. As fabulous as a message is or a rooted yeah. cost is or anything, it, it's only fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's only fabulous if it's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's only fabulous yeah. if it says, okay, 
I go that way. I go this way. I go this way. And I flow out with the river. Let's throw all the metaphors in. (laughs) Yeah, and finally, discipleship, it's self-perpetuating as well. You know, it's meant to be an individual journey for a collective purpose. I'm going to give you that again. It's meant to be an individual journey for a collective purpose. You see, we're called to be in unity. Ephesians 4, you can see I've been in Ephesians, can't you? Ephesians 4 talks about unity. That only comes through discipleship because that's the workmanship that's fitting together and then God coming to dwell within us, yeah? But Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13 tells us, Christ has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We need the revelation of the Holy Spirit to know who we are, what God's purpose is for us, the good works he's prepared for us. And we need to be prepared for them because we're his workmanship and we're letting him shape us so that we can do those things. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. Because by... By being God's workmanship, by understanding who I'm meant to be, by fulfilling his works, I can also mean that you're going to benefit too, like we've said, and then you're going to know your role. And then you can administer your role. Why? Because the body of Christ is meant to be being built up. We're meant to be worked on together. Why? So we have full knowledge, fullness of understanding, maturity, so that we're going to show love, humility, grace, gentleness, patience. Life in circles. Discipleship brings everything. You're going to be who you are. You're going to live a life of outreach. You're going to live a life of service. And you're going to live a life in circles. Because that's what God made you to do. But you've got to commit to it. And you know the wonderful part of it all? To enter into discipleship, as stewards say, essentially means you're putting yourself in the place of most potential. If you don't want to be a disciple, you're not going to reach your potential. You're not going to be an active adherent of Jesus' ways if you're just going to hear a few words on a, on a Sunday and then uh, that's it. Nice words, well communicated even. Found it madly entertaining. <laughs> but it doesn't change how I act tomorrow. It doesn't change my relationship with my wife don't impact on how I am with my children. Don't mean I forgive that person who's hurt me. Don't mean I choose to say that encouraging word to someone that I know I should, but I can't be bothered. Because I don't like them, really. (laughs) Unless it does those things, you're not in the place of most potential. Wow. Who'd want to be there? My potential, good works, I fit, I'm blessed. The Holy Spirit's there, he's revealing truth. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) Potential, non-potential. What what do you want to be here for? (laughs) Why would you want to be here? No one could tell me a good reason to be here. Well, maybe it's easier. I don't have to take responsibility. I can be passive. But you're never going to have potential. Come on. Preach it. Choose potential. Choose potential. 
choose to be who God has made you to be, called you to be. See, I want to do those good works. I want to impact lives. I want to fit. I want to be blessed. I want to be empowered. Yes, come on. We can be all right. (laughs) Wake up, smell the coffee. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. It's a place of commitment. It's a choice. Not to follow some distant deity, but to commit to laying everything of Jesus. To imitate him. To adhere to his ways and actively pursue them. To live them. It's a choice to save your mind. To discover up close and personal who God created you to be. To allow yourself to be in his hands. To be his workmanship. To know God. To learn of God. To let him perfect you. Why? Because he wants to put you in the place of most potential. He wants you to fit in the body of Christ because he wants his Holy Spirit to dwell with you. He wants to reveal his truth to you so that you can administer that truth to others, that you don't just meet need, but you introduce them to God. To unify the church that we equipped to carry out the roles God made us for. Think of it like a cocoon or a chrysalis. I don't know if they're the same thing, but for today they are. You've got to closet yourself in discipleship. You've got to envelop yourself in Jesus. You've got to surround yourself with his truth, with his love. Surround everything, not just an hour of the day. Your marriage, your work, your children, your heart, your mind. Surrounded with Jesus in the cocoon of Jesus so that in the womb of that understanding you are perfected you are transformed that a metamorphosis takes place where you go from being fearfully and wonderfully made to perfect his workmanship his craftsmanship and you're going to gain strength because actually in the cocoon it's, it's quite a tough place to be you have to develop strength you've got to grapple with truth you've got to grapple with who Jesus says you are and what he wants you to do and, the, and that perfecting and sanding and tweaking and tightening process because in, in, in a chrysalis if I, if I was to tear a chrysalis open to make it easier for the butterfly to get out that butterfly is too weak because it needs to fight its way out of that cocoon. It needs to be surrounded and to push its way out to have the strength to live on. I could help it, but I'd weaken it. You know, you've got to commit to the learning with endeavour. And that means really grappling, because in the grappling, you're going to gain the strength to push out of that cocoon, to push out of of the, the teaching and understanding of who Jesus is. Because when you emerge and you unfold those wings, you're just going to reflect the beauty and majesty of God. His wisdom, his truth, his joy, it's going to be painted all over your wings. And you're going to show him because people will see the beauty and they can't deny it. 
And when there's one butterfly and another butterfly and another butterfly and another butterfly, do you get flocks of butterflies? Let's say you do. <laughs> and there's a flock of us. <sighs> How people will gasp. How people will marvel at the beauty. And they'll know the change you went through. But you've got to put yourself in there. You're ready. Chrysalis of Christ. You've got to put yourself in the chrysalis of Christ to be transformed. Will you just stand with me? We're going to worship. And as we worship, I'm going to ask you, where are you on your journey in the river? Are you flowing in the wrong direction? We're not committed to learning with endeavour the ways of Jesus. Are you flowing in the right direction? Good. Keep going. There's more to come. Are we at the point this morning where your heart needs to turn? You've reached the point where the tide needs to shift and the river needs to flow. We sang earlier, we want to see your kingdom here. And I just thought, you know what we do? But before that, we got to see your kingdom here. Yeah. It's a personal, internal, I need, I need revival here. I need to see your kingdom here because when I see your kingdom here, then I'll see your kingdom here. In the chrysalis of Christ, you're going to ask God, put your kingdom here. Put your kingdom here. Put your kingdom here. Put your kingdom here. Come on. Put your kingdom here. Your kingdom here. Holy Spirit, reveal your truth. Just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, reveal your truth. I want to commit to your ways. I don't want to flow the wrong way. It's time to turn. It's time to be who you called me to be. Lord Jesus, I commit to you. I surround myself in you. I want to see your kingdom here. I want to see, Lord Jesus, your kingdom here. Deep, deep within me. I want, to, I want that knowledge, that understanding embedded. I want it to be part of who I am, not just what I hear.